We're in a series on the book of Exodus. We've got a, a lot of ground to cover today, all right? We're going to look at four chapters today. And uh, I'm specifically only going to read through in its entirety chapter 24. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 24 and just hold your place there, we'll get there in a bit. Uh, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to hit some highlights through uh, really the end of chapter 20 through chapter 23. Uh, but uh, we, we've, we've got a lot of ground to cover. I feel like I say this a lot. I'm going to have to move quick. I'm really going to have to move quick today. Uh, and we can, somebody can just like hit, hit the, the, the timer and see, because next week it's, uh, it's going to be a competition to see if I can do even better, because we've got six chapters next Sunday. So. Uh, but last week, JT preached uh, on the giving of the, the law, the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, right? That, that, that the Israelites had been, uh, had been, ex- had been brought out of Egypt, uh, their exodus out of Egypt. God had delivered them from the Egyptians, and he had, has brought them into the wilderness. He's brought them to the base of Mount Sinai now, and he has given uh, the Ten Commandments, This morning, I have the joyful task of, in these next four chapters of preaching about the application specifically of those commandments. So we have the giving of those Ten Commandments, and then today, now we have the application. How do we we carry those those laws out, those ten words that God gave for his people? How do we apply that very practically to our lives? And just know that, like, Four chapters. I, I don't know what you were thinking, man. Like, there are books in the New Testament that are shorter than that. All right, so uh, I'm going to be preaching over a, a passage of scripture that's longer than some, some of the, uh, the New Testament letters. But on a positive note, I guess it's a good thing that I'm known for my short sermons, right? So as I said, let's turn to Exodus chapter 24. I'm going to read it in its entirety. And then we will go back and, as I said, hit some of the, the high points in the chapters throughout uh, I, I will encourage you that if you haven't read the entirety of this passage, then please do so. Uh, there is a ton in here. There's some, some pretty wild stuff, too, that I'm not going to touch on, like how you're not supposed to boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Like, I, I don't know what to do with that today. Like, I know why it's in here, but that's... Uh, uh, anyways, I, I, don't, I don't need to waste time on that. Just go through and read uh, these chapters, especially before you go to your life group and, and you begin to talk about these things. Um, and if you're not in a life group, then come, like, come find me afterwards. Would you do that so that I, I can help get you plugged into one, whether you want to or not? You need to be in one, right? It's just great community. You can come to ours. We eat every single Sunday, so you can come, like, if for no other reason, for food and good fellowship, right? And then, anyways, I'm wasting time. Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, the words of the Lord. Uh, and, And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, the twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of the oxen, to the Lord. 
And Moses took half of the blood and put it on the basins, uh, in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood, and he threw it on the people. Sorry, wind uh, turned more than one page. He said, Behold the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And it did not lay, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone, which the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses, with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So... uh, Trying to move quickly, picking up from last week. As I said, the the Israelites, they have heard from God. They've been given the Ten Commandments. And now we see this this image of of Moses, along with the elders, of returning to uh, up up the mountain in order to receive more specific application of the law that was going to guide Israel in in the future. And church, I want to give you a quick reminder before we really dive into all of that, is that God's people, both then and now, both Israel and us today, I want you to understand that we do not secure our salvation by keeping the law. Do you know that? We, we don't earn our salvation and we don't keep our salvation by, by doing God's law perfectly. Right? Rather, we are already God's people because he has chosen us unto himself and it is because of that fact that we are able to keep his law. So we don't keep God's law and then become his children. We are God's children, therefore we, we keep his law. And so I want you to, to bear that in mind as, as we walk through many of these laws that God gives to his people. And they, they lived, as they lived according to this law, things like, like order and civility and, and charity would be those things that would characterize Israel's life together. So this, this section of Exodus is known as the Book of the Covenant. Really, the, all of this, this passage that we're covering uh, today is known as the Book of the Covenant. And while it doesn't seem maybe necessarily as exciting as the first section, the first half of the Book of Exodus, right? Because we have, we have crazy, wild miracles happening, and the plagues are taking place, and, and Moses is, is carrying these things out in the name of the Lord. Uh, it doesn't seem as exciting as that. I want you to understand that it's just as equally as important because it teaches God's people how to live for him day to day. 
right? This, this giving of the law in this way, it, it teaches Israel his moral law in the form of the Ten Commandments, and, and he gives it to them to live it out day to day. So he gives them the law, and, and then he shows them how to apply it in all of these different various situations, right? And because these are applications that are given by God, I want you to understand these are, ju- these are of equal importance to the Ten Commandments. These are the Ten Commandments just, just carried out in, in various different scenarios in your life. However, we need to understand that even in Moses' day, when, when these laws were given and when they were written, uh, th- this book of the covenant, it wasn't intended to address every single possible situation that could ever happen. No, the, the book of the covenant showed Israel how the law applied to daily life. And, and it might seem a bit mundane at times because there's some, like I said, there's some pretty wild and crazy things in there. Things about keeping festivals and, 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 and how to, to carry out certain uh, acts of retribution, which we'll get into a couple of those. But, but most of it was really kind of just in this ordinary, everyday stuff. And I think that's significant because isn't that where we spend most of our lives, most of the time? Just in like the ordinary day-to-day things. I'm not saying that our life is mundane necessarily or boring or plain. It's just most of, of the time, our lives are, are characterized by just the ordinary day-to-day things that we do again and again and again, right? We, we, we have certain routines and things that play out at home. We get up and we go to work and we do kind of the same things at work. We interact with a lot of the same people. We do a lot of the same things again and again and again. And I think that God's law is being given to the Israelites for them to carry that out in just the ordinary day-to-day activities. There's going to be some exceptions. There's going to be some, some things that happen that are, that are going to be very specific, um, but I think in, in its totality that the book of the covenant, it's about living for God, not just when we're standing at the foot of the mountain looking up at the glory of the Lord, right? But also when we're just doing ordinary things, like when, when we're trying to, to manage our household or, or figure out a budget for the month or, or if, if you're a mama and you're folding laundries while trying to wrangle really demanding little ones or you have, you've loaned something out to a neighbor and that neighbor breaks this thing and then like, you, how, what do you do with that? Like these laws speak to many of those things, All right, Not laundry because the Israelites, they didn't have washers and dryers, but so... You know, before we get into all of that, I just want to say that it's important to remember that in all of these laws, before God gives all of these laws on like how to do this in this situation, before we get into any of that, the thing that we see that happens first, that God addresses first with Israel, it's their relationship to the Lord. Right? And I think if I were to ask most, if not all of you, if like, if you feel like that your relationship is first and foremost, it takes priority, it's, it's of paramount importance, it comes first before everything, we would all, I think, instinctively and, and authentically, genuinely say, like, yes, I believe that. But do we live our lives like that? All right, because I'm, I'm going to talk about uh, really kind of piggybacking an idea that we had a conversation weeks ago in men's discipleship about how all of life is worship. Right? And it was a phenomenal conversation. All, uh, that, that everything that we do in our life is, is of, uh, of worship unto the Lord, or at least it should be. And this is the first thing that the Lord addresses with 
the Israelites, that it ought to be priority. And it's seen in the fact that God gives religious regulations. He gives, gives religious ordinances or laws, if you will, before he gives those that, that have to do with how people interact with one another. Right? Just in the same way that JT touched on it last week, you have, you have the Ten Commandments that are, that are really kind of broken up into two categories. It's called the, the dividing of the Decalogue. The first four laws are laws pertaining to, to our relationship with the Lord, and the, the last six laws pertain to our relationship with one another, how we interact with one another. Right? He explained this last week, these two categories. And, and I think that's, that's of importance because our relationship with the Lord comes first in, in all of these things. And I know you probably heard the saying that like seeing is believing, right? And I think this is, this is certainly true for the Israelites. They saw the Lord do so many things throughout the story of the Exodus, things that couldn't be denied, things that couldn't be disputed, things that led them to believe. So there's faith and that's of importance, but what did they also do? They also worshiped God because of those things. God reminded them of what he, what he had done, what they had seen, so that they would take him at his word. And that, that's so true for us today, church. I hope you understand. For people of God, it's never just, it's never just seen as believing. It's also worship. Right? I could talk about how our, we should hold to doctrine and doctrine leads to devotion, but you've all heard me say that so many times, that the doctrine that we hold to and we believe should lead us to a place of seeing God in his character and in his nature, and that should lead us to worship him and adore him and give him praises because we see who he is, and that's what he's done with the Israelites. He, he's proved it time and time again. So it isn't just believing, it's also worship. And all throughout Exodus, we see the same thing playing out, that, that God's people are saved for God's glory. Do you understand that? God's people, Israel, was saved for, ultimately for God's glory. Yes, he made promises. He was going to fulfill those promises. He was going to keep his covenant. But, but ultimately, God saves his people for his glory. So whenever the Israelites had some new experience of God's saving grace, which was time and time again, they always responded in praise because God was deserving of that. So I want you to see that first and foremost in all of these things. But I'm going to have to move much faster. So I want to, uh, I want to go to, back to chapter 20, verses 22 and 26, through 26. Exodus chapter 20 verse 22 through 26, so that we can see what those instructions are. The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of the earth you shall make for me and, and sacrifice on it burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. If you will make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. You shall not go up by the steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed to it. So, Church, I know we don't, we don't build altars for sacrifice anymore, and there'll be a little bit more on that here in just a moment, but I think there's some principles here for us to apply. One is that God has the right to determine how he's worshipped. God is the one who sets the standards for how he's worshipped, not us. 
And this example that he gives the Israelites requiring them to build an altar to certain instructions is proof of that. And I think we're under the same obligations today. All right? And I would love to spend a great deal of time on this, but I just don't, I don't have uh, the, the margin for it. But I, I want you to understand that, that we don't determine how we worship God. God determines how we worship him. And so if that means that we look different, that we're set apart from the rest of culture and society, I'm not going to stand up here and talk about what other churches do, right? But, but for us as Freshwater, as a body of believers, we're going to be very intentional in, in, in setting out to worship God by the standards and the ways and the mandates that he has given to us. And maybe you think there aren't any, and that's a conversation that we can have, but I want you to just, more than anything else, I want you to see the importance or the significance of God being the one who determines how he is worshiped. And, and that that should tell you how very seriously he takes the worship of him. Again, we see, uh, JT touched on it last Sunday, the, in, in, in Matthew, when, when Christ gave the, the, the first and second greatest commandments. Right? What's the first one? The first one's that we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And so that is, that's knowing God and his nature and his character and worshiping him. And then we're able, only then are we able to do those other things. So I think the question then comes is, as we get into these other laws or or. or ordinances that the Lord gives. The question is for us to see is how many of these, these rules still apply to us, and if they do, in what ways do they still apply to us? I think it's pretty clear that there are some that uh, at least don't apply in, in the same ways as they did in Moses' day. Laws, as I said, about altars and festivals, those are things that have been fulfilled in Christ's sacrifice. Right? Romans chapter 10, verse 4 tells us, that for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And that end, that end of the law, it means that the law has reached its goal in Christ. All right, that doesn't mean that it's been done away with or that it's, that it's been abolished. We know that Christ didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. It means that it, the law has been fulfilled or completely satisfied in Christ. Right? So some of those ordinances, uh, we, we just don't have to carry out in the same way thanks to the, the perfect one who came. But we do have ordinances that are, that are, or, or laws that are proposed like severe instances of the death penalty. Right? If you've read through this already, like there's, there's passages in here that say like if, if, you, if, you, if you strike or curse your mother or father, you shall be put to death. That seems pretty intense, right? There's, there's more at play. We have to understand that this, this isn't a, the, while it seems pretty severe, what is in view here, it isn't a single act of disrespect unto your parents, but instead it's, it's just like an utter repudiation of their authority in your life. Right, that the, and, and the man who, who curses his father or mother, it, it meant that he disowned them and he was going to refuse to take care of them in their old age. So that seems, all right, that's a little different, but it still seems a little bit severe, doesn't it? That if you don't do those things that you're put to death. So 
my point isn't so much that. It is that, that all of these laws, they aren't applied in the same way because of Christ, because of the perfect one. And we find numerous instructions in, in, throughout the New Testament, right? And I don't have time to go through all of those, but throughout the New Testament, we see this, 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 uh, this distinguishing that, that, that takes place between what's known as the, the, the civil law and, and the ceremonial law, and then the moral law, right? We see the civil and ceremonial laws were those that were given to the Old, uh, Old Testament Israel specifically, and then the moral law are, laws are those that apply to all believers in all ages. And since the church today is not the actual literal nation of Old Testament Israel, then things like Passover, like uh, adhering to, to, to strict Passover, other festivals, circumcision, sacrifices, those things just don't apply in, in the same way. But we also have, within these chapters, principles for us on how to care for our neighbor, to love them as we love ourselves. And these don't serve just to illustrate the Ten Commandments. While they do, they also provide justice and, and mercy and restitution. So then let, let's talk for just a moment. Why did God give the law to Israel? The law doesn't provide salvation. We are, I already addressed that. So, and, and it was never in, intended to do so. If it had been meant to do that, then it failed, right? If the law was intended to, to provide salvation, it didn't do that, and so it failed. And so there, I mean, we could arguably say that we don't have to abide by the law any longer. Here's the truth. It has always been Jesus that provided salvation and not the law even when the law was given. The law was given because of our transgressions. The law was given because of sin. Because we are fallen, sinful people who oppose God at every opportunity. So you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but I want to read you a couple of passages, a couple of verses out of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 11. I'm going to read 11 and 12. And then I'm going to jump down to 19, and then I'll skip a couple of other verses down to 23. But just listen, because this speaks so clearly to the, the thing that I just said. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. That means the law doesn't save. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So again, the one who is by faith, of faith, lives by the law. Down to Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? Here it is. It was added because of our transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Down to verse 23 through 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So, so understand what's taking place here. The law doesn't provide salvation. The one who is to come, the promised one who is to come, will be the one who fu- will fulfill the law. Our salvation rests in him. That person, you know, it's Jesus. So the law came because of our sin, to show us our sin, and to serve as a guardian. Right? To, to imagine, if you will, that... that, that we're, or I'll just give you a, a very specific example. When, when our son Corbin was, was little, um, he, man, you had to keep an eye on him all the time or he would, he'd be gone, right? And so uh, there was an instance where we were going into a, a grocery store and uh, we're walking through the parking lot, near the parking lot, and, and he starts to get away from me. And uh, and I just instinctively just like quickly just reached down and just like swooped him up, just picked him up um, by one arm. I didn't dislocate his shoulder, so uh, that was a good thing, right? Um, but like just to give you an image, like that's, it was, it was aggressive. I swooped him up because there was traffic coming and he was getting away from me. And so he was a child. He didn't know any better, right? And I was, ser- I'm his guardian. I'm his parent. I'm his dad. I'm serving as guardian over him to protect him, to keep him from running out into harm. And so this is the job of the law, to serve as our guardian. But now my son is 16. He doesn't need me to do that anymore because he knows, right? He, he, he understands and has, and has applied those principles to his own life just in the same way that we ought to in our faith, that the law serves as our guardian but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. So I want you to understand, I think the, the law still functions in this way. I haven't, I'm not up here telling you that we just don't have to abide by it. We do. We, we do have to still adhere to the Ten Commandments. I believe that with every ounce that I have in me. It still functions in this way. But understand, it was never intended to save God's people. That only comes through the perfect one, Jesus, who came and kept the law perfectly. So after worship, I'm going to pick, it up, pick up the pace here a little bit. After, after God uh, tells Israel how they are to worship him, the first thing that he regulates in chapter 21 uh, is, is how Israel ought to deal with slavery. Uh, and uh, that, that might perk our ears up a little bit, right? That seems like... Uh, a bit of a, a fragile topic to cover, but I want to read uh, chapter 21, verses 2 through 3, and then I'm going to jump down to 7 through 9. Exodus 21, 2, through, 2 and 3. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go, f- go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, he shall go, he, he shall go out his wife shall go out with him. And then it goes on to explain uh, a little bit more. Verse 7 through 9. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. So how do y'all feel about that? All right, that's I mean that's kind of tough. 
What, what, what do we do with, with verses like that? I want you to understand first and foremost, this is not, right? All caps, bold letters, flashing neon sign. This is not the same thing at all, even remotely, as the chattel slavery that used to be practiced in our, our country's past and in other parts of the world. This is not the same thing, okay? That practice of, of chattel slavery was enslaving and owning human beings and their offspring as property, being bought and sold and forced to work without wages. Verse 16, if you were to look at it real quickly, verse 16, I think, makes it clear that this isn't the same thing. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Right, so the practice of chattel slavery, if this was it, you, you would be put to death for it. The word slave in both the Hebrew and the Greek is often, most often translated as servant, and it has multiple meanings. It is absolutely used to describe the Israelites in, in slavery in Egypt. It is that. But it could also describe a bondservant, one who who received fair treatment and who, was, who, who received well payment and provision. It applied to that as well. Or it even could be applied to someone who just borrowed money from another and, and owed money back to them. They could be referred to as that. And then it's even also referred, used to refer to followers of Christ. Right? We are slaves to Christ. It's the exact same word in the original language. So I want to stress the point here, just in case there's any confusion, the Bible is not pro-slavery in the sense that we ordinarily think of slavery. So why this specific wording? I think it's intentional. This, this, this wording uh, is going to be used over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, that Israel was to remember that they had also been slaves in Egypt. And consequently, they needed to treat their own slaves who, who were employed to them differently. Most importantly, they were to be treated as human beings, that they were to be released after six years of labor, and that a lifetime service was their choice and not the owner or the master's choice. So I want you to try, if you can, to separate the, the, the negative connotations that come with the word slavery today, that is not what is at play here. As for the, the, the verses 7 through 9, um, again, this isn't de the detestable form of slavery. This is most commonly understood as either a family that wasn't able to provide for their, their, their daughters, and so therefore they would allow them to, to go and, and live with and work for another family or also just marry into that family. This is most commonly understood as arranged marriage. You've got to understand, again, culture. This is a patrilineal culture. That means that the lineage was traced through the, the paternal line. And that means that the woman who married or, or worked with this particular family or household, they would live near the husband's family. And if it was a marriage, this would include things like a dowry, which would be either money or livestock or land. And they were provided by the family of the bride. Why? It wasn't given for profit. 
but rather it was to ensure the provision and the protection of one's daughter when the father couldn't provide it. So I think when, when we understand these things in proper context, we're beginning to see, here's, here's the thing I want you to see in all of this, right? I told you it, it can seem a little bit mundane, but we see what's at play is the Lord is giving out laws to his people that will protect and provide for them when they obey him. So moving on into further down in, into chapter 21, verses 12 through 14. Exodus 21, starting in verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So I want you to understand something that's at play really in, in this whole entire, all of chapter 21 for sure, is there is, there is this, this, this idea of what's called the, the lex talionis or the law of retribution. We, common, we, we probably know it best as just an eye for an eye, right? That's what's at play here throughout this whole entire chapter. And this, this is meant to be a, a punishment. How would I say it? Um, a, a, the, the punishment for the crime fits the crime that was committed. And it was meant to be less prescriptive, meaning do it exactly like this, Right, as, as in like you absolutely must take an eye for an eye. It's, it's less that and it's more restrictive. Does that make sense? It's not prescriptive in the sense that I want you to do it exactly this way. It was more restrictive in saying I want God is limiting, li limiting the, the acts of retaliation and revenge. He's putting, uh, he's putting up guardrails to say that the people of Israel, you can only do, you, you know, you, you can only... Uh, seek out retaliation in these instances. And so it was limiting unjustified feuds and retaliation. However, it, it says that anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. And, and I would say in, in these cases, justice demands strict retribu retribution, a life for a life. According to God's law, anyone who intentionally takes someone else's life in cold blood no longer deserves life and shall be put to death in an act of public justice. He wanted to make it clear. But what about in accidental deaths? This calls for a different measure of justice. And if that were left up to us to determine, church, don't you see how, how much chaos and confusion and disruption could come if, if these things were left for us to decide and how to react in these things? But God's law made a distinction between intentional and unintentional crimes. So let's look at verse 28 and 29. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. So you, can you see just in, I mean, there's so much that we could go into just in terms of like what we call um, 
you know, involuntary manslaughter, or if someone's, you know, in, intoxicated, they're drunk, and they get in the car, and they drive, and they, they kill someone, like, you see how, like, these things can still very much be at play in our life today, so that we can understand how we ought to act in, in these instances when they happen The Lord is giving Israel laws to administer just punishment and also to limit unjust punishment. His law ultimately is for their good. There's one more situation that I want us to look at, though, in this this chapter. Go back to verse 22 through 25. How are we doing on time? Verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her, chi- her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. As the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So this scenario, we have a fight breaks out between men. The pregnant woman is nearby. She's accidentally hit. And we have two different results that could potentially play out here. If there's a premature birth where the baby uh, lives, then there's a fine. If there's a premature birth where the baby dies, then the one responsible for that death is to be put to death. This is the only place that I know of in all of Scripture In the entirety of the Bible, this is the only place that I know of where the death penalty is required for an accidental death. I think that's significant because it shows us the value that God places on both mothers and their unborn children. And I think you can already see very clearly where this applies in our day and time. The death of either the mother or her child, even if by accident, is to be paid back life for life. And this should, if it doesn't already, give us a a very clear sense and serious perspective on the taking of life through the the act of abortion. And so, are, are we going to be a people, are we going to be a church that applies these laws to our own lives in, 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 across the board in, in every area? There's much more time that I, I, I would want to spend in that, but I do want us to try to, to cover all of these laws and then ultimately get to um, what I think is, because is, if, you, if you're feeling like this maybe is a little bit of bad news because it's just a lot of law to keep, there's good news. So let's move on uh, into chapter 22. We get into these laws about restitution or, or paying things back. And as with all of these laws, I think that these seek to honor life and property, which are all things that fall underneath the Eighth Commandment. But it's meant to, to limit and regulate again, to, to restrain, if you will, the retribution that others might seek. Right? I loan you something, you break it, and I want you to give me back that plus more. Maybe it's just, but, but what we're seeing here is uh, regulating these acts of retributions that people might seek out. Again, doing things by the way, uh, by God's rules. 
We see this take place in the New Testament with uh, the story of Zacchaeus when he came to faith, right? Zacchaeus was uh, a man who was, who was brought to faith, who had an encounter with Jesus, and uh, we see him willingly practice out what we, what we read in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, which says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So we see Zacchaeus carrying out this law in his day, years later. Zacchaeus said to, to Jesus, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That's in Luke chapter 19. So we see a heart that is willing to, to abide by God's law and to do things the way that God says they ought to be done. Because I think a heart that is unwilling to do those things, church, hear me, a heart that, that is unwilling to try to carry out God's law in, the, in their life, you're unwilling to make these types of restitutions, which I think we still ought to do. If you have a heart that's unwilling to do that, then, then I think it's, how, how can we understand sin and, and repentance and redemption and faith? How, if, if we're unwilling to do those things, those things aren't at play in our life. But moving f- uh, further into uh, chapter 22, I want us to pick up in, in verse 16. What we see in, in, in chapter 22, church, is uh, depending on the Bible that you have, uh, this section uh, may be titled as sundry laws, or that just means various, various laws, uh, or laws about social justice. These laws were basic guidelines for living together as a just society, which is what we ought to want. Living as a just society while also calling the people to live as those who are set apart for the Lord. So let's pick up in in chapter 22, verse 16. Exodus 22, 16, we'll go down through 25. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. So there's a lot right there. Well, I think the, for sure the, the, the cultural context has changed just a bit. I think many of these same basic principles still apply today. <clears throat> for example, God's law says that sex is for marriage and not for our own, merely, simply our own personal pleasure. Therefore, if, if single men specifically... 
not exclusively, but in this instance, specifically called to sexual purity, and, and then that means they bear full responsibility before God for any misconduct, for any inappropriate act that they enter into. And like, this isn't to say that women don't have to answer to God for, for the same sin as well, and that they're not also called to maintain sexual purity. They are. However, I want you to see that a godly man should seek to preserve his own chastity, but also to protect the purity of a woman. That law was given then. I think it still applies today. When a man fails to do this, he causes damage. Damage to himself, damage to the woman. And God will hold him accountable. This isn't what many believe today, but it is in with keeping with the character of God. Because he is holy and he is pure, he wants to preserve the purity of our sexuality. God also called for his people to care for the weakest in society. Something that was often neglected in, in many cultures during that time. The, the weakest in, in society, the, the widows and the orphans and the sojourners, which just, just means resident alien, someone who was just passing through, that the, they lived in a land that wasn't their own. Right? And God said that Israel was that in Egypt. They lived in a land that wasn't their own. They were sojourners there. All of these people would have been at a disadvantage and I think are still at a disadvantage today. And as God's people, we should show his compassion by being the ones who care the most for those individuals. Right? I think that if the church would step up and do the job that it's supposed to do, then we, we wouldn't have issues uh, of, of fatherless children. Right? If, the, if the church would... would step up and, and, and take care of, of foster care and, and, and adoption and um, caring for widows and, and you know, the, the senior adults who, who uh, maybe are unable to live on their own, people who are, are, are brand new to an area, and maybe they don't even know the language, right? If you were a sojourner, you might not know the language. You're at a disadvantage. The church ought to be the ones who are stepping up to take care of these things, Showing compassion by caring for them. Love for neighbor. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18 says, He being God, he defends the cause of the fatherless and of the widow and loves the alien. That's, that, that hits on all three of them right there by giving him food and clothing, by caring for So this last section for today, we'll look at verses, well, chapter 23, verses 20, really through the remainder, through chapter 24. This last section for today ends with uh, what I really want to stress the most for all of us is, is encouragement for God's people when they keep God's law. In chapter 23, starting in verse 20, chapter 23, verse 20 down through 22, God speaks to Israel and he says, Behold, 
I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So after God tells Israel all that they must do, he informs them what would happen if they obey his words. And he also tells them what will happen if they disobey. The first thing is, is that God promises that an angel of the Lord will come and he will lead the way and he will provide protection. He will deliver them unto the promised land. I tend to think that this angel of the Lord is Christ himself, right? Which is what we would refer to as, as a Christophany. It's, it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. This angel of the Lord, I, I believe uh, that it is Christ. Because God says that this angel will have authority to forgive. Well, who, who has authority to forgive? Only God. He also says that, that God's own name will be in him. And this angel is the visible representative of God himself. And that, that it should be a, a comfort to the Israelites in both the present and in the future. So church, I want you to understand that, that we serve the very same God today. Do you know that? That, that we serve the, the very same God that, that we've, we've looked at here today. And this should encourage us as well. That he tells us if we, if we keep his word, if we keep his laws, his commands, then we will, we will be rewarded for that. Not based on merit, just based on, on faith and, and obedience. And that he, he has given us the perfect one, our Savior, who has fulfilled the law in all of the ways that we couldn't. We should find encouragement in that, just in the same way that Israel did. That in the same way that Israel was set free from slavery, we have been set free from the, the slavery of sin and death. And we have obtained this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? And we haven't, we haven't reached our promised land, if you will, yet. Right? We know that there will be a day that will come and the new heavens, new earth will be in the city of God. Jesus will be the source of light there. We're not there yet, but, but we know that it's waiting for us. As for now, we, we run the race, as Paul says. And we do that while facing trials, just as, he, as Israel did. In the journey that's ahead, the pain that will come along with the journey that we are on, know that we have a Savior who is our guardian, who will lead us where we need to go. He will protect us and keep us along the way. And if we listen to his word, then, then understand we have everything that we need to know. The second encouragement is this. that God confirms his covenant with Israel. God sets the terms of the covenant with Israel in chapters 20 through 23. He tells them all of the ways that he wants them to carry out his commands, his laws. And then in chapter 24, we see how it's confirmed. 
Right? God calls Moses and the, Israel's, the, the, the elders of Israel up to the mountain in order to, to confirm this covenant through a sacrifice and a meal. And it is through the, the, the blood of the covenant that Israel became God's people. And through that, that same blood, God's people might see the God of Israel and feast in his presence. And likewise, not, not only do, do we have the, the continued promise of God's presence through the spirit of Jesus today, understand that, but we also continue to participate in that same meal, right, which we'll do next Sunday. We'll observe communion, the Lord's Supper. We continue to participate in that meal that promises Jesus' presence and that the power through that blood of the new covenant that was shed in Jesus for us, for a law that we couldn't keep, but he did. We should be encouraged in that, church, for, for whatever comes ahead, whatever journey we have that lies ahead of us. No matter the hardships that come with it, we should be encouraged, and we should seek to abide by God's law. Knowing that at the end of that journey, we will, we will reach that glorious city of God. And so what I want you ultimately to, to see in, in, in all of this uh, that, that I think is just like running throughout the whole thing, that there, are, there are two things in particular. There's the sovereignty of God. All right, the sovereignty of God, which says that God rules over all things in all times, in all places, in every way imaginable. God reigns supremely just over everything in our lives. And because he is sovereign, he is also good. Because God is sovereign, he is also good. So that means when, when we come across hardships that we can't, we can't understand, we can't compute, how, like where is God? Where was God when Israel went through these hardships? Where is God when we go through our hardships? Understand that if we believe that God is sovereign in everything, then that means God is good in all that, that he does and allows to take place. And so that's really a test of faith. It was the test of faith for Israel. You've seen me. You know me. You've worshipped me. What, will, will, you, will you carry that throughout? Will you hold to that faith in me, in all things? And also, if he is sovereign and he is good, then understand that his laws are good. Even laws that we, we really can't fully understand or figure out how to apply to our lives today, understand that, that all of the laws of God are good. Right? I mean, it was David who said that, that, that he found joy in, in the law, in keeping the law. Because they were of God. They came forth from his very nature. And then secondly and, and, and lastly, I'll end with this. And we could spend a great deal of time, I think, discussing this, but uh, that is the, the jealousy of God. The jealousy of God says that he alone is worthy of glory and praise, and he will not share that glory or praise with anyone else. 
Right, so in the regulations that God gives and how he is to be worshipped and how his laws are to be followed and obeyed, it comes out of this sense of like God knowing who he is in his own very nature. And understand, it isn't, it isn't an act of jealousy that comes out of, out of selfishness or, 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 or greed or anything like that. It, it, think of it more in terms of uh, how we are jealous for our spouse in a way like, like uh, try to understand the, the, the way I want to put this is like with Cassie as my, as my bride, like she's my wife and I, I don't want to share her like in the ways that she is my wife and my wife only. I don't want to share that with anyone else. I'm jealous of her, of, of that relationship. Does that make sense? Think, and I think that's as close as we can get is God saying he is the one that is deserving of obedience and faithfulness and praise and worship and honor and glory and our whole entire lives given over to him. He will not share that with another because there is not another who deserves it. So church, uh, I know that, that is a, a really quick fly over uh, four verses to look at these laws that God gave Israel and to try to talk about how they apply to our lives today. Um, it's a tricky thing. And I think it's a conversation that, that we can continue to have. And, and again, like I, I want to encourage you that if, if get plugged into a life group because that's where a lot of these conversations happen. You'll read through these passages and you'll, you'll talk about these things you know, and we have life group questions on the webpage. You might not even get to them, and that's fine, right? So long as, as you're seeking to, to, to have fellowship and, and, and to commune with one another and to, and to, to break, uh, to, to, to break the, the word of God um, apart and, and to, to read it and discuss it, talk about these things. So to close up, uh, let me just say this, that, that if, if you're here by chance and, and you, you don't have that relationship with the Lord, you don't abide by any of these, any, any, any of, of the laws that have been given, you don't seek, uh, you don't have this desire to follow through, um, I want you to know like the, the promises of encouragement, the promises of a, of a future hope and a glory, uh, they, they, they simply don't apply to where you are in life right now. And I would encourage you to, to surrender your life over to Christ today. To see the, the truthfulness of the sin in your life. Because listen, we're all, we, we all at one time were sinners. Deserving of the full wrath of God. But then Christ, the perfect one, came. He kept the law in ways that we couldn't. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life as a perfect sacrifice and three days later rose from the grave, sits at the right hand of God the Father now. You need to believe that, to profess that, to place all of your faith in him, um, and you will be in him. And so I would encourage you to respond in that way today. So I'm going to ask the, the musicians to go ahead and come. Uh, we're going to close with a song or two. And uh, I want to encourage you, church, um, to respond in whatever way you feel like the Spirit might be leading you. Again, I, I know that this might be 
uh, a, a bit of a, of a peculiar uh, sermon to, to fill a need to respond to, but um, if nothing else, I want you to, to just to take this time to focus on the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the command for us to faithfully obey the commands of God. And to know that you, you can't, that you're, you're going, I'm going, we are going to fail in that. But the good news is that in our sin, we, we, we have a Savior who came and kept the law for us. So just think on those things. Thank him for that. Um, respond in songs of praise. And seeing in your, you, you, you see and know the own sin that's been in your life, right? And you see what Christ has done for you, so therefore you believe. So if you respond, respond in praise. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, this day, just to be out in the world that you created, to enjoy the, the weather that you have made, to feel the sunshine, Lord, that you created you place it exactly where it is so that it might serve us in the way that it does. Thank you for the order that, that you use to create the world around us, God. We thank you for all of these laws that we read that you've given to Israel that some of them we frankly don't know what to do with. We don't know how to apply to our own lives, Lord. But um, Father, it's my, my hope it's my prayer uh, as a pastor of this church that, that, that all of us as, as a body, that, that the people that make up this body of believers would believe in the sufficiency of your word, that we believe that your word is true. We believe that it is timeless, it is authoritative, that all of the words that are contained within it, we, we know that they apply to our lives. Lord, even if we don't know how specifically they apply to our lives, may we not be a people who um, come across parts of Scripture that we don't understand or we don't like and we try to, to diminish or do away with parts of it. That we believe everything contained within it, you put there for a purpose, for the purpose of us knowing you. And those parts that we come par across that are, that are difficult, that we have to wrestle with, help us do that together, Lord. Help us spend time in your word together, discussing it and applying it to our own lives, making one another sharper. Help us to grow in wisdom and understanding of your word and that uh, we would then seek to, to know how to apply it to our lives, Lord. God, I believe that your laws are good. I believe that the perfect one who came to keep the law was better. We worship him today. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a life perfectly keeping your law that we couldn't do. So we praise him today. God, I ask if there's anyone here that doesn't know him as, as Savior, uh, Lord, that you would just... Uh, Help them see the truth of sin and the, the, the need of a Savior and that they would respond. 
Lord, just uh, as we exit this time of worship and enter into a time of, of food and fellowship, we just thank you so much for all of the food that you provided. God, I ask that you would bless our time of fellowship together. Thank you so much for the hands that have, who have provided and, and prepared it, Lord. Just give us a sweet time as, as a body to just uh, to, to have sweet fellowship and communion with one another. Um, ultimately, Lord, because of you. Um, that we love one another, Lord, because, um, because we love you and you love us. And so help us, Lord, just to, to visibly, tangibly be the church now and, and, and expressing love for one another. And as we, as we go forth, to try to, uh, to be ambassadors of your word and, and to be um, even a lighthouse, if you will, to this community. Help us to serve uh, just in the same way that your laws tell us to, to serve, uh, Lord, the, the downcast, the downtrodden, those um, who are disadvantaged. Help us to be a source of help, a source of strength and hope, all because of Christ and his gospel. We ask it in his name. Amen.